Y'all ready? Okay. Let's go. Hey, friends. I'm Megan Meredith. I've been on an interesting journey the past 10 years. It's been full of plot twists, as I'm sure your own journey has been. One thing I've learned is that people are fascinating and full of stories. We all come from diverse backgrounds and have complicated backstories. We experience the world completely differently, and we don't always agree. And that's okay, because there is always something we can talk about. Okay. Oh man, it has been a minute. Am I right? There are so many factors to this, but we will save those for another episode. A little disclaimer before we dive right in. I was 100% part of this culture. Those of you who are closest to me can vouch for that. Um, And I'm going to tell some stories on myself later, but I was not only a participant, uh, willing or otherwise, but eventually became a perpetuator of some of this purity culture messaging and how far it went. Um, So in a way, this is like an open letter to everyone in my past. I feel like I can critique this culture because I was a part of it. Uh, I know that I have caused harm, just like harm was done to me. And so I just want to start by saying I'm sincerely sorry for not knowing any better, for only knowing what I knew, and for being so zealous in the wrong direction, and in doing so, causing a lot of harm. So for those of you who don't know, earlier this year, I developed a short survey about people's experience with purity culture. It was about 25 questions long. Some were open-ended and some were yes and no questions. 76 of you filled out that survey. I've kept you waiting for those results long enough. So 76 of you with different backgrounds, churchgoers and non-churchgoers, varying denominations and generations and very diverse outcomes, very diverse fallouts, if you will, from purity culture. And I will tell you that I sold myself short. I I honestly thought that about 30 of you would fill it out, like 30 of my closest friends, right? (laughs) But the other side of that very low bar coin was that then there was like this unrealistic dream of like 20,000. I follow Sheila Gregoire on Instagram, and I really love her stuff, all of it, the podcast, the blog. Um, But she's written a book called The Great Sex Rescue. And she quite frequently references this survey that they sent out to women about sex and like over 20,000 women filled it out. And so it's like then then that became like the the holy grail almost for like, man, what if 20,000 women could fill this out? And it's like, I don't even, how would I get to that many people? You know, and so then there was a very weird dichotomy of expectations there. So, um, but 76 was the very generous number that I actually received. And you guys filled it out and you told me your stories so bravely and so authentically. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, There was only one of you who wasn't asked about it, but we'll get to that in a minute. This week, we are going to go through those results from a survey. We're going to talk a little bit and we're going to share some stories because you, you guys told me stories and those deserve their own space in their own right. Some of them are so heartbreaking and so beautiful. And I'm honored that you would share them with me 
I'm going to be joined by my friend Janessa Newberry, who was on earlier this season. We talked about the Enneagram and belonging, and I asked her to come back to be a part of this results episode. But before she and I get into the results, I want to talk a little bit about my why, as in why did I do this survey (laughs) and why do I keep talking about purity culture? And the reason is, this is like a 90-10 situation. Truthfully, most of the reason is because I know, I know I'm not alone. I know that my story is not uncommon. It's a very common story. Plenty of women have felt groomed and conditioned and felt pressured to do things without consent. And I know plenty of women who were sexually assaulted. And I know plenty of women who feel stunted in their sexuality because it was never fully developed or celebrated, right? And so I know that I'm not the only one in that place in their life, like nearing middle age, kind of figuring some of these things out. I know I'm not the only one who's going to their therapist and saying things like, I need to tell you something I've never told anyone. I know I'm not the only one. But the thing is, no one should, no one should be discovering their sexuality or developing their sexuality or reclaiming their sexuality as they're nearing middle age. Like that shouldn't be a thing. You know, these things are meant to develop early in life. And there are like normal, natural stages for all of our development. And that includes our sexual development. But, and we'll get to this, we'll dive into this, but purity culture really stunted all of that development. And I've had several open conversations with friends about my experience and my story. And I have heard echoes and reverberations that the exact same things have happened to them. And it's a really beautiful thing when you're finally brave enough to disclose something to someone or even just to share parts of your story that then that person reciprocates that and they feel safe enough to be like, actually, that same thing has happened to me or something similar, or I've never told anyone this because I've started to share things that I've never told anyone, then then they feel safe enough to do that. And that's actually where healing begins is when you start to tell your story when you start to be honest about the things that have happened to you. So I wanted to open up this conversation, kind of haul it up from the basement, if you will. Not because no one's talking about it. There's plenty of people that are talking about it. And this is not a new conversation that is happening. In all honesty, there's some people out there There's Instagram accounts, there's podcasts, there's all kinds of people that are talking about this, and they're doing a fantastic job picking apart purity culture. But sometimes, I I know from, from my own experience that it's important to hear stories from like regular people that are in your same region, your own, your own state, your own church, even that it normalizes it in a way that a public figure can't always do because they don't seem normal all the time, right? You can't actually identify with a famous person's life, but I can identify with that person who went to the same youth group, who experienced the same thing. I can identify with that person and that makes me feel normal that 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 I received certain messages and it really messed me up or so I developed this survey as a way for some of you to weigh in on your experiences that many of us had in the 80s, 90s and 2000s. And quite frankly, it's still it's still happening. It's still going. 
I started this survey because of the book I was writing, wanted to write and writing. I don't know. But I, I knew that that book, that whatever that became, I don't even know what it is. I knew it didn't just need to be my voice. It didn't need to be my experience. It needed all of you. It needed a whole bunch of other people. But I didn't want to wait for that project, whatever it is, the book. <laughs> I didn't want to wait till that came out, till it was done and I decided what to do with it. I wanted to be able to share these results with you because you guys were so generous to tell me your stories and to answer these questions that I wanted to give these back to you so that you knew that you weren't alone. I want to open up this conversation. And maybe it just opens it up with yourself. Maybe it just opens up enough space for you to go, actually, as I listen to these results, it's, it's time to be honest about something, you know? And that's such a beautiful, important step. And maybe you will feel safe enough with one friend, a sibling, a friend, whoever it is, that you can go to and say, I need to tell you something that happened to me, or I need to tell you how I experienced this messaging, or I need to tell you what happened because of this that I went through. And maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe you gather some friends. Maybe it's your closest friends now. And you just talk about like, hey, how did you guys go through puberty? How did you guys go through sex ed? What was, you know, the, the talk around consent and virginity? Maybe you kind of open it up. I don't know. Maybe it's people that you actually went through this messaging with. Maybe it's the people that you went to youth group with. Maybe it's the people that you went through puberty with that like saw that saw that awkward time in life that that witnessed you becoming um in the midst of this maybe you go back and you say hey like can we get together i don't know what that's what that looks like and maybe you're like no we will not be doing that <laughs> and that's totally fine but it opens up a conversation it allows you the space to open that basement door and be like okay maybe let's look at it sometimes in order to change the way that we think about something we have to have a moment where we realize that something that was done to us was not okay. And what it caused as a result was not okay. And that you're not the only one who is not okay. And I'm not saying you're a train wreck. I'm not saying that you're not even a functional adult. I'm saying that there's this one part of your life that doesn't feel okay or that you've been running from or to keep the basement thing going that you've locked away in the basement and you're like, we will never be speaking of this again because you, you know it's not okay, but it's so risky to bring it out into the light. It's so risky to talk about it. It's so risky to think through sort of the ramifications of saying, actually, I don't really love that this happened to me or this was illegal or this was spiritual abuse or this was sexual abuse or like whatever label needs to be put on it is really risky and I 100% get that I'm here with you and I've been through several of those moments in the past four years where I have to weigh the risk of telling the truth But realizing and learning to say it out loud that it, this was not okay, or I didn't like it, or it caused this in me, all of that conversation helps us reframe where we want to go from here. I tell my kids all the time that talking about something doesn't make it true. 
like saying it out loud, verbalizing it doesn't make it true. It was already true. But telling the truth helps you decide what to do about the truth. It was already true. So these results, talking about these results doesn't make these things real now. They were already real. <laughs> they were already true. These, they were already these brave survey takers' truths. I'm just, I'm just here for the telling of it, right? They were here for the telling of it, and I'm just sharing it with you. And I'm sharing it because we are not alone. Even 76 is a very small population of, of people that the purity culture messaging affected, right? In a positive way or a negative way. It's a very small sampling, right? But that's the 90% of why. Because we're not alone. There are other people who experienced it the same as us. Good or bad, positive or negative, it all belongs. And, and there's somebody else out there that may have experienced it the same way. So. That's 90. The other 10% is this one survey taker who obviously had an agenda. I mentioned him before. One of the questions asked if they felt that they had been negatively affected by purity culture messaging. And it wasn't a leading question. It was just a, do you, do you feel this way? And their response was, I kid you not, a weaker-minded person could have been negatively affected, but that he had not been. And I'm calling him a heeb. Adam, no, who... It is. It was anonymous. The survey was anonymous, but I, it just feels like something a narcissistic guy would say. So I'm going to continue referring to him as a he. And I know that I don't know him. I know I'm reading into a lot with that one sentence, but I felt like that one sentence was very telling. At first it was laughable, but as I sat with his response over the past few months, I realized that his archetype is a part of my reason why. And that archetype being a person that would rather demean other people, calling them weaker, simply for being affected. They would rather do that than self-reflect on any part they may have had in a system or an institution and see that it's entirely possible that said system could have affected people in a negative way implicitly or explicitly. This archetype would rather protect the institution at all cost than admit that harm was done and sort of take responsibility for whatever role that they played in that. And they would rather protect that institution than be a part of the healing because you can't be a part of the healing without admitting that there was harm. And so I, I just can't abide with that anymore because heaven forbid, right, that we allow people to experience something differently than we did without assuming that they haven't had our identical experience because they are weaker than we are. Like, let me just pause for dramatic contemplative fact because like, wow, just just put that out there in front of your eyeballs for a second and look at it, you know? Like, just, would you just look at it? Like, how gross is that mentality? Rather than saying, no, I haven't. Like, he could have just said, no, I haven't. Or, no, I wasn't, but I can totally see how some were. Like, that even, it's, that would even be slightly empathetic. 
but this person felt the need to call everyone who may have been affected weaker than he was. I know not everyone has this archetypal person in their life quite literally spewing, sort of shaming at them about being weak or being affected by something. But I did. And maybe you do too. A person who will gaslight another person in order to make them feel dumb or crazy or weak for being affected for some sort of trauma, simply to avoid looking at their own responsibility, that's just harmful. And it's part of the mechanisms that purity culture operated with and still does operate with. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me point out here that when we have people like this in our life, whether it's overt or covert, that we're being called weak for experiencing harm, for having sort of any effects, the natural response for us is to armor up. We form this sort of implicit ideology that the goal of life is somehow to be unaffected because the people around us are alluding to that. Or we simply want to avoid their criticisms and their shame, and so we armor up. We'll do anything to avoid getting more shame heaped on us, right? Even if that becomes like being the goal has now become to be impervious, to be unmovable, to be, you know, no one can get to me, to be so hardened that the most sinister of systems could not affect us because we are, quote unquote, strong of mind. But I would just like to call bullshit on that. Not only that this person considered himself stronger than everyone, which is laughable, but also that it's the individual's fault for being affected and not the institution that was causing harm. Like, I'm not even a therapist yet, and I can tell you that that's called victim blaming. But again, I digress. Being impervious is not only not the goal of being human, it's the farthest thing from what Christ was actually enlightening us to. Armoring up and being hardened is just a bad coping skill. And like we will find out, many of us were being introduced to these ideas about modesty and purity and abstinence and shutting off our sexuality at a very impressionable age of like 10 to 12. I doubt that this individual was quote unquote strong of mind at 12. And as we will dissect later, purity culture extends way past true love weights and evangelicals. We can see it in dress codes. We can see it in HR policies. So I just don't think it's realistic to say that, that a person has been 100% non-affected by this. Trauma is defined by some not necessarily as a thing that happened, but our inability to cope with the thing that happened. And I think that if we harden ourselves with this sort of faux intellectualized spirituality that is more concerned with rightness and the maintaining of power, armoring up, if you will, then all we're doing is storing up trauma because we're not actually coping or dealing with life in the present moment or the fallout from life in the present moment. And you don't really have to take my word for it if you don't want to. But I can tell you from my own experience that all of that stored up trauma, all of that 
sort of hardening. The trauma comes out some way, somehow, someday. So that last 10% is because I want you to know that if purity culture affected you negatively, you're completely normal. And having institutions or people or systems affect you is a normal part of existing. How we identify what was affected and how we identify if we want to keep those effects and then how we identify where we go from here is all as individualized as the effects themselves. Your story is your story. Your experience is your experience. If you feel harmed, nobody really has permission to tell you that you weren't. So that's the point of these results. Yes, purity culture affected you in some way, in multiple ways in a whole host of ways, right? We are affected by everything that makes you human. And no, you're not alone. I guarantee somebody else out there experienced the effects of these messages similar, if not the same way that you did. But the thing is, what do we want to do about it? So there's my why. I hope that you will tune in next time for part two with Janessa and all of the results. We'll talk soon.